Hello and welcome everyone. Can, I, can everyone hear me all right? Okay, great. Uh, my name is Neil McCluskey. I am the Associate Director of Cato's Center for Educational Freedom. I want to thank you all for coming. Uh, I also want to thank uh, everybody who's on the panel and our moderator today, and especially Mike and Checker for coming into the lion's den for the great debate on the Common Core. Um, in a moment, I'm going to go to my corner uh, over here. Um, but first, I want to introduce our moderator after, after welcoming you all. Uh, and our moderator today is Fawn Johnson. Fawn is a correspondent for the National Journal, covering several domestic policy issues, including education. She's an expert on immigration, having covered it since the Clinton administration. Uh, she has more than a decade of experience covering Congress and the president. She previously reported for Dow Jones Newswires and the Wall Street Journal, where she covered financial regulation and telecommunications. She's an alumnus of Congress Daily, where she covered health care, labor, and immigration. Uh, Johnson first covered Congress in BNA Inc., where she wrote about labor, welfare, immigration, and employment law. She has an MA from the Annenberg School of Communication at University of Pennsylvania and a BA from Bates College. I should also note that she moderates the National Journal's Education Insiders blog, where you can find these two guys and me, and eventually, I hope Emmett will get on there and join the fray on all sorts of terrific education issues. And just one more thing before I turn this over to Fawn. I want to do a little bit, just channel my inner Michael Buffer a bit and say, let's get ready to rumble. <laughs> the fact that I'm, that I'm in between this two is, is uh, moderately disturbing, but I, uh, I, have, I have a child at home, so I can, I can intervene in fights, in schoolyard fights if I need to. So um, I, I'm sure that any of you who are here probably are more familiar with the Common Core than I am. But uh, just for the sake of starting at the beginning, um, quick brief overview, uh, Common Core, the sort of the, the next stage as I view it after No Child Left Behind, uh, a reaction, if you will, to No Child Left Behind, a group of governors um, in state, uh, state districts got together and put, put together these standards, which quite frankly, um, sometimes I still don't understand when I look at them. But the idea is to get all of the kids who are graduating from high school to actually be ready to go to college and to have jobs. Um, so the, the reason why I say this is a step beyond No Child Left Behind is this is more than just being at grade level and reading and math. It's supposed to mean that you can actually interact with the world as complex as it is. Um, that's my reading of it. It's not necessarily written into the standards. To date, 45 states and the District of Columbia have agreed to, uh, to uh, adopt the Common Core Standards. And we're in the process now of seeing how that works. Uh, there are only a few states who have started assessments. I believe Maryland is one of them. Um, and the results are, are a little disturbing. And th this was a, a, to be expected because as you were starting to test kids on new and in some ways higher standards, what you're finding is that they are not doing as well. So this causes a lot of school districts and parents to freak out and it causes a lot of disruption, which may or may not be real. But these guys are going to talk a little bit about that. Um, there are other states, Pennsylvania, Florida, Utah, and Oklahoma, who have abandoned their testing for uh, various reasons. Some of them say it costs too much. Some of them say the tests are not, uh, are not a good indicator of what you're actually trying to measure. And as um, I'm, Mike Petrilli has been battling, that there's a, also a, a, a Tea Party conservative and in some ways libertarian movement to abandon them altogether. Um, just before I turn it over, uh, I've got 
a couple of quotes. Um, one is an op, a recent op-ed from Jeb Bush, who is a big Common Core supporter. He says, that's right, policymakers across the nation have spent hours upon hours of debate on whether or not we should expect a child to understand the components of a sentence, such as identifying a noun or verb by the end of third grade. To him, this seems elementary, literally. So then, uh, and this is just one of the voices of people who say that the Common Core is is really the wrong way to go in education. Um, this, this particular quote is from Kelly Coles, who is the president of the Springboro School Board and founder of a group called the Ohio School Board's Leadership Council, who has an against Common Core um, group in Ohio. And she told the Plain Dealer a couple weeks ago that Common Core is an untried, untested, unproven set of standards that are mediocre and less rigorous than those in place of some states. So with that introduction, let me begin. Um, I am starting with, um, uh, let's see, who am I starting with? I'm, st I'm actually, I'm starting on either side, but let's go first to, on the far side, Mike Petrilli, who's a, a big advocate of Common Core. And um, so for you, I ask, um, why is the Common Core important? These are easy softballs. We're going to get to harder ones. They are. So. Great. Okay. Well, thank you, Fawn. And thanks again to uh, Neil and the folks at Cato for hosting this. Uh, Fawn forgot to introduce us by, by, you know, she said we're from the Fordham Institute. Uh, We've also been told by some people that we are the paid lobbyists of the Gates Foundation. So uh, we'll just put that out there right now. Uh, we're surprised by that because we actually walked over here and we, we were waiting for the Gates limo that never seemed to arrive. But uh, anyway, all right. So why are why standards-based reform and why are standards important? You know, let, let's start with some perspective here. We've had now standards-based reform in this country for going on 20 years. Uh, started before No Child Left Behind and then we're taken nationwide under No Child Left Behind. And for a big chunk of that time, we at Fordham have been studying the state standards that are supposed to be the foundation of those systems and found most of them wanting. And if you ever read our reports back in the 90s and early 2000s, it was always, you know, very sad. We'd, we'd grade all 50 states and we'd say every few years, woe is us. Uh, there's a handful of good states that are doing this right, but most of these state standards are terrible. Uh, and yet year after year, they just weren't getting any better. Uh, still, we had all this testing machinery gear up. And, and so what ended up happening was that we had standards that in most states really were vague and nebulous. And so the true standard became the tests. And the tests under No Child Left Behind in most cases were set at a very low level. And so the goal was to get the lowest performing kids up to a basic level of literacy and numeracy. Now, the good news is that our, our schools actually, to their credit, have made some huge progress in that. When you look at NAEP, uh, you see big gains in student achievement for our lowest performing kids, many of whom are poor or uh, minority kids. Uh, that started back in the 90s and then continued into the 2000s. So that's good. We did show that if you have a low standard, uh, you can get the lowest performing kids up to that low standard. The, the proposition that we have been pushing for for many, many years is that what if we can now raise that bar, uh, both set solid content standards in reading and math, and then also have very rigorous tests that test these higher level skills and set a cut score on those tests that are at a high level. If we do all of that, can we then raise student achievement much more broadly across the board, uh, not just at these low levels, but at least at the medium levels, maybe the high levels as well. Now, we can't prove that that's the case that that'll happen, but we can say that when states like Massachusetts that have done all of this and done it right, good standards, very good test, high cut score, retrain the teachers, set higher standards for new teachers, invest in building the capacity of the system, you can see some very impressive results. And so uh, that's what this is about, is, is to say this is the next step in standards-based reform, higher standards, stronger standards. 
uh, you know, we like the fact that these are common standards, but that's not the driver for us at Fordham. Most importantly, they're very solid standards, and we think the tests that are coming along with them are going to be good tests as well. And the hope is then this is going to drive the system towards much higher performance. And I apologize for not introducing the people here. I figured you all knew them, but I sometimes forget. So Mike Petrilli and Checker Finn, who are um, more or less heads of the Fordham Institute, which is a, um, I think my, my way I tend to describe it is a right-leaning uh, advocacy group for education reform. Mm -hmm. And then we have Neil McCluskey, who's here and then Emmett McGrory is the, the blog that I think I saw of you is, is against Common Core. Fight Common Core. I'm with Fight American Com Principles Project. American Principles Project. So anyway, apologies um, for that. So, but let's let's go to Emmett, which I, I think you know, fighting Common Core is essentially one of the things that they're doing. Um, it, tell me why it's not needed. Well, I I think the the uh, lesson we have out of No Child Left Behind, right? You know, one of the central thesis of No Child Left Behind is we, we need accountability, we need accountability, we need accountability. And I, I think in that, that sentence or that question was, was never completely stated. And the, the real issue, the first issue, has to be accountability to whom. And the problem with No Child Left Behind is it shifted accountability to the federal government. Uh, that, that is away from, from the people, specifically away from, from the parents who had uh, and, and have the, the primary, most important interest in the formation of their children. And uh, there's, there's a principle here, um, several principles, but, but one of which is that you can't serve two masters. So the state government, if the state government turns its attention toward the federal government, it's turning its back on the people. That's what No Child Left Behind did. And uh, what we have with the Common Core is two steps further down that road. And what, what do I mean by two steps further down the road? Well, it shifts uh, a lot of responsibility and authority and, and weight to the federal government. Um, but then when you dig deeper and uh, really look at, at how the Common Core was developed and who was behind it, you see that it was really the idea of private interest groups, private interest groups that enlisted the, the help of private associations, uh, and it was a private associations that essentially sold this program to the federal government, and the federal government pushed it in onto the states. So um, that's, that's it in a nutshell. Okay. Before we um, get into the you know, who sold whom to what a debate, which I think is, is an appropriate place to go. Let, let's, let's back up a little bit. And um, the, I, th I think, Emmett, you bring up that this is something that the federal government is doing. The states, uh, you know, turn their, their face toward the federal government away from their people. Um, the, there's a two-part question, and I'll ping-pong back and forth between the two of these. But what is, what is wrong with a common standard if, if, in fact, that is what we're concerned about? And is the Common Core, in fact, a national standard? Because, you know, everyone who is a proponent of Common Core will tell you that the federal government wasn't involved in it at all. So, Checker, can you ex explain, explain why national is, is, is a dirty word <laughs> or might be a dirty word and whether Common Core fits that, that? I feel like I'm speaking on behalf of one of these dread private associations that uh, Emma just, uh, just tackled. <coughs> uh, after all, uh, what are we at, at uh, Fordham or Cato, for that matter, if not a form of a private association? But regardless, let's, 
First, also take note of the fact that the federal government is closed down today, and yet we are talking about the Common Core, which strikes me as proof positive that it couldn't possibly be a federal program. <laughs> uh, or um, it, too, would be closed down today, and we wouldn't be having this conversation. Um, the, uh, the, and, I, and I guess I want to say one other kind of crucial background thing, which is that most of the discussion about the Common Core I suspect, including a fair amount that we're going to have today, in fact, I think I haven't started in this vein, isn't actually about education uh, or what kids are or could or should learn. It's actually about politics. And uh, it's, it's um, this particular topic, Common Core Standards, being used as the current uh, sort of kickball uh, ball in a kickball game that is really being played between teams that are fighting about something else. Um, I think mostly about politics, uh, and uh, we this is just being used as the kind of the the the, the target for the present uh, example of the game. There's this version of polo they play in Afghanistan. I think it's called Bush Kazi, where they actually use a dead sheep uh, to hurl around the uh, polo field uh, from horseback. Uh, and you come along and pick up a leg and throw it and see if somebody else can throw it further and get it across the goal. I sort of feel like common core standards are being used as the dead sheep in a larger political uh, contest that's being played out in America today. It's an important political contest, but it's not about education. Um, it's about politics. Uh, Mike made clear that uh, common per se is not a virtue. There are su subsequent to the common core, which came out in 2010, which we actually looked at closely and found quite a lot of substantive merit in, in terms of what kids should learn. Uh, subsequently, have come out uh, the common science standards, and then just in the last couple of weeks, common social studies standards. Well, the common science standards, in our view, are mediocre, and the common social studies standards are just appalling. Uh, and uh, I wouldn't be sitting here recommending that anybody adopt either of those just because they're common. They're not substantively meritorious. And uh, what is in the Common Core Standards, and I'd, it'd be interesting to survey the room and ask how many people in the room have ever, with their own eyes, actually looked at the text of the Common Core Standards for either English, language, arts, or math. Could we see a show of hands? So, Yeah, it's a, it's a distinct minority of the audience. Of actually I would say it's about half. That's mine. I was <laughs> guessing a quarter, but uh, you're sitting over there on their side. <laughs> so we can verify it. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's worth doing because if you actually look at them, I'd be very surprised if you find um, uh, anything or much in there that you find objectionable. I find a lot that's praiseworthy, just in terms of what I think an eighth grader should know and be able to do, what a tenth grader should know and be able to do. They are common, and common brings some other advantages if they're good. Uh, it brings ability uh, if the if the assessments are also common, which they may or may not turn out to be brings the ability to compare results from state to state, which we have great trouble doing today. We can use NAEP at the state level, but you can't get district-level comparisons or school-level comparisons from state to state today from any existing um, uh, source of information. There may be economies of scale in commonness when it comes to buying textbooks, when it comes to developing uh, professional development for teachers, other things like that. Those are sort of collateral benefits that come from common, but common is only worth doing if there's substantive merit in what you're doing. Uh, and and when, you, when you take clearly in your head the fact that these standards, the common core, are voluntary for states, 
that five states said right from the get-go. In fact, Governor Perry said this about Texas before the Common Core standards were ever even published. Texas isn't going to be part of this. Um, and uh, that's fine. That's his right. That's his privilege. That's the privilege of the Republic of Texas and Virginia and so forth and so on. Uh, it's voluntary. How can it be national if it's voluntary? It is something you join if you want to, if you think they have merit. Uh, whether you join and then take it seriously gets to another whole set of questions, such as the ones Mike was raising. And I think we're going to see lip service being paid to the Common Core in some places that claim they're using it, but don't do all the arduous uh, implementation work uh, that Mike was describing. But it remains voluntary. Well, and so it, it's interesting what you say, because I have in my head a map that, that you would have uh, states who have overtly rejected states who are kind of doing it and states that are really doing it. So by that definition, maybe not a national standard. Um, however, <laughs> I think that Neil might have a yeah, different view now, of this. Yeah, uh, now, originally I was hoping that my comments wouldn't have to go more than a minute or two, but there's a huge amount I have to dismantle now. So <laughs> let's... <laughs> Let's get started. First of all, points, let's please, completely, please. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to yeah. try and do this as parsimoniously as I can. You know, all, Neil, I know, is offended by the idea that the Common Core is like a dead sheep in Afghanistan. That's, uh, well, is that I part of it? Well, the whole yeah. enterprise is very much like a dead sheep anywhere. <laughs> um, but let's start by saying that, uh, dealing with the idea that you can somehow separate politics from government-run education. You cannot. And we cannot look at Common Core and say, look, this is just about standards and pretend that there isn't huge political connection to it and ramifications to it. So why is the, common, the idea of common standards wrong, just as, as a notion? Well, most basically, it's because all kids are different. They learn different things, different rates, different times. They have different, different interests. They start at different places. The idea that they should all be on some sort of lockstep or fairly lockstep standard just doesn't fit with the reality of human beings. Um, then we have the other problem of political control. Clearly, the Common Core involves political control, and it's federal control. Why do we know that? Well, yes, there are five states that have said, well, really four and a half, because Minnesota took one set of the standards and take the other. They said no. But they said no to the same principle by which the federal government's gotten states to say yes to all sorts of things. They take money from state taxpayers, whether those taxpayers like it or not, and then the federal government says, states, if you want this back, you have to do what we tell you to do. So there was the Race to the Top program, $4.35 billion in the federal stimulus. And they said, states, if you want this back, if you really want to compete for this money, you have to sign on for internationally benchmarked standards that are common to, uh, ideally, um, a majority of states. Well, not coincidentally, there was only one thing that fit that description, and everybody knew what it was. It was the Common Core. And then they said, look, if you want to get waivers from the dictates of the No Child Left Behind Act, you basically have two choices. Either you go with the Common Core, which most states said they would use to begin with, with Race to the Top, rather, which came before waivers, um, or they you could use your, your highest or your biggest system of public college universities to certify your own state standards as college and career ready. Not surprisingly, most states went with the Common Core. And if you read these waiver applications, even from Texas, they go to pains to tell you to the federal government, we've really, we've compared our own standards to your Common Core, the one that you wanted us to use, and we think ours is better. So even those states felt the need to take on the Common Core. And then the biggest problem is 
you guys are great at this, and I completely agree. The states, for the most part, the, the vast majority of states, won't hold themselves accountable. There's a reason for that. Concentrated benefits and diffuse costs is the biggest. The people you'd want to hold accountable, teachers, unions, administrators, associations, in politics, they have a huge advantage. It's their livelihood at stake. They're the most motivated to be in the education politics. They're the easiest to organize, and they've almost always gotten their way in almost every state. So now that we know that this is a heavily federally pushed effort, then we have to ask ourselves, is the federal government fundamentally different from states? No, they still have the same concentrated benefits diffuse cost problem, only you're not as close to the federal government as you are to your state. When you vote for people in the federal government, you're actually voting on all sorts of issues states don't deal with. And we don't have the advantage of states at least have an uh, opposite pressure. I don't think it's as powerful, clearly, as concentrated benefits diffuse cost. The opposite pressure is they compete with each other for residents and businesses and things like that. This is not ideal. Ideal is the opposite direction of federalization which is school choice, freedom for educators, free markets where you can focus on the needs of individual students. Then there are lots of other problems. If you have one national standard, you don't have competing standards to see what works better. But ultimately, and, and again, I think Fordham's written well about this, it's quite clear that they need the federal government in charge of the Common Core. One, you could see it in a report called Benchmarking for Success before there was an Obama administration from the NGA, CTSSO, that said the federal government's job is to incentivize adoption of these things. Ultimately, Common Core, at the time they were calling them Common Internationally Benchmarked Standards. Um, so they need the federal government charge, and they need a tripod. And this is, this is Checker's term. If you're, you don't just need standards, and this makes sense, but you also need tests so that you can see and common tests. So you can say, look, not only do we have this common standard, one state isn't calling proficiency X, another one's calling it Y, and so that common standard doesn't mean anything. And ultimately, you also have to have ramifications for how states and schools and districts do on the test. Well, there's only one entity with the power to compel states to do these things, and we agree, states probably won't hold themselves accountable, and that means the federal government has to be in charge, as was encouraged, at the very least, by Benchmarking for Success. Right. Um, I mean, I think that summarizes your life's work, or at least at the moment, right now. <laughs> it, it feels like my life's work. Um, Retire now, Neil, yes. But done more I, than, Fonny's feel, done more than that. I mean, before, I, I have written, and I'm, I have written about the politics of this, um, and, and, you know, the, the government, you know, what role should the government have in the schools, which I think is a worthy debate. But if we can, and on this side of the table, if we could get you to, to suspend that particular piece of the, of, of your argument for the moment and talk about the standards themselves. Um, I, I, I would appreciate it because this is a, a place that I have, I struggle with. Um, so I'm going to start over here um, just because I think you guys are advocating this, but the one, the, the one that I'm really interested in is reading mm -hmm. because um, under no child left behind the reading scores have been for, for under the NAEP scores. They, they are more stagnant than the math scores. They're, you know, it, Kids, they tend to get at a certain level and then they stay there. And I, I feel like Common Core makes an attempt at trying to, to get beyond that. The idea is to get kids to interact with text rather than just read and understand. Um, you know, th there's definitions like that that I think are very well intended. And I don't think and even these guys over here would disagree with, with the intention. But I guess what I, we'll start there and then I'd like to go on to some of the other, other areas where they set standards. I mean, 
how how are they? I mean, can they can can you actually set a goal for how someone should be able to read, and then can you measure it? So, well, which I, one of you wants to go for I that? I brought a few pages with me from the English standards. This is page sixty one, grades nine and ten uh, from English and language arts. Just a uh, example, uh, uh, pretty near at random. Cite primary textual evidence to support analysis of primary and secondary sources attending to such features as the date and origin of the information. Cite specific textual evidence to support analysis of primary and secondary sources attending to such features as the date and origin of the information. This is for 15-year-olds um, uh, as, as part of reading. This is something that expects them to actually get into the text and explain what's going on there, not how they feel about it, uh, not whether they agree with it, not whether it relates to what they had for breakfast or what their team is doing or their girlfriend. Uh, this is about what is in the text. What is the author trying to accomplish and where's the evidence of this? This is a worthy goal for a 10th grade uh, English class or social studies class or so forth. And um, it's, it's not easy to measure because it requires a, a, either a good test or a good teacher uh, to read the evidence that the student is actually successfully doing these things. But it's surely worth getting American kids to do these things. And I think my you know, sort of bottom line point about the common core is the same as my bottom line point about any education reform that we're talking about. Uh, if you're happy with the status quo in American education, then reject this. Reject all reform. Keep what you got. It's going great. I don't happen to think it is. I don't happen to think it's good for the country or good for the kids. Um, but uh, let, let those who have a better idea put it on the table. And before somebody says school choice, I want to read you one more quote. This is from the guy that runs New Schools for New Orleans, near of Kingsland, in, in a blog post the other day. He says... Conservatives who are against the Common Core would be wise to take note that the urban system, namely New Orleans, that most resembles a free market system, only exists because of accountability and standards. The New Orleans system came to being because Louisiana sequentially implemented a statewide accountability system, created a state takeover mechanism to act on schools that fared poorly, and utilized charter schools to replace these failing schools. The notion that we are going to have an education free market without any form of standards that anybody has to meet is just nutso. Nutso. <laughs> I like it. I want to quote that. Um, but, but I think, um, uh, Checker, you raise a great point about, about what, you're, you know, what we think that the goal is. But it's, it, you know, I, I wrote down the quote that that's very hard to measure. You either need a great test or a great teacher. Mm -hmm. um, so, and, and I would argue that probably the teacher is more important than the test um, in that particular case. Uh, and, but it also makes me wonder, you know, why, why bother if, if what essentially you have to do is train a teacher to learn to, if you have to train a teacher to read or teach someone to read. Um, and one of you two can help me on this a little bit because I, the, another thing I'll say just before that is that I, interviewed Margaret Spellings a, a couple of years ago when I was doing a story about No Child Left Behind, who is a huge fan of accountability and testing. As you, you probably all know, she was Bush, President Bush's education secretary. She helped implement No Child Left Behind. And her, her statement on the Common Core, I, you know, if I can imitate it, was kind of like, you know, who cares? We can't even get them to hit this level of 
you know, basic reading comprehension. So what good is it to layer on top of that something about analysis? Um, so that's just feeding this side here. So I figured I'd let you guys take take how I started and run with it. Emmett, do you want to? Yeah. I, I think, uh, yeah, we, we all want children to be better readers. Um, and that's not, not the issue. So the, the issue, though, is, well, what's what's happened in America? And uh, I'll... I'll cite Sandra Stotsky on this, whom all of us here know and, and I think highly respect. And her view is, is that uh, over the last century, we've devalued the content of what children read. And they've been reading simpler and simpler and simpler texts. And, and that what we need to do is get back to kind of classic education, uh, have children reading classic texts, uh, good good fiction, for instance. And she speaks from authority on this issue. Now, she oversaw the, the Massachusetts miracle, which is the, the great uh, bipartisan uh, effort to reform public education in Massachusetts. It uh, started in, in 1993. They, they redrafted their standards, instituted new standards that went back to direct instruction math, and, and really reading good classic fiction. Um, their achievement scores shot way up until now they're viewed as having the best public education system in, in America. So I think that's a good model for success for, for public school education. And um, now you look at, at what the Common Core has, has done and the Common Core in terms of reading has a fundamental shift to reading, um, to reading informational texts. Informational texts are by and large less complex, require less analytical thinking, um, and really train students less in terms of verbal expression, writing expression, uh, um, in terms of their ability to acquire vocabulary. So, uh, and this is what the Common Core writers say. They say that, that to implement the Common Core, uh, the schools will have to shift the balance of text and instructional time towards reading substantially, substantially more literary nonfiction. Most ELA programs and materials designed for them will need to increase substantially the amount of literary nonfiction. And they go on to explain that as saying nonfiction that is built upon informational text structures rather than literary nonfiction that is structured as stories, memoirs, and biographies. So what are they talking about? They're talking about um, more simple texts. Uh, so government bulletins, for instance. Um, uh, this is crazy. The I mean, Declaration yeah. of Independence is literary nonfiction. Actually, I was going to ask, well, let's, what is let's, literary nonfiction? Let's look at what's the purpose of literary nonfiction, and that's to convey a clear idea to a broad audience. And so I think it, it's, it's really quite logical. It's simpler text. Well, and, and here's it's my not question. That, and it's not that children shouldn't read any of it, but they shouldn't increase the reading of that at the expense of reading good classic literature. Well, and, and I'm going to need you guys to come, to come over here and explain this to me because, because this is the place where I start to see the, you know, the questions about the Common Core, which is 
for, what even is literary nonfiction? And 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 is it something? I mean, I, I know that is you it can, something that people would read? You can trivialize it as a car repair manual, but it's also the founding documents of the United States. Uh, it's uh, uh, it's the autobiography of Benjamin Franklin. Um, and as for the celebration of fiction, I totally agree with Sandy Stotsky that kids should read classic literature. But how are they going to read it? You can read Macbeth. But if the question you're then asked about Macbeth is, how does your mother resemble Lady Macbeth? You haven't learned very much. <laughs> Let me add, uh, it's hard to follow that. Look, I, I'm glad Emmett brought this up, but I think what Emmett showed was that there's a fundamental misunderstanding of the common core. There's nothing in there that says we want students to read simple, uh, non-literary text. In fact, the standards go ad nauseum about the complexity of the text we want students to engage with, that we want them to read rigorous things. Why? Well, because the Common Core started from the presumption that we're not going to invent a standard. We're going to go to the real world and see what the real world standards actually are. If 18-year-olds want to go into credit-bearing courses in college, for example, what do they need to be able to do in terms of reading? Well, they need to be able to read things like journal articles. Right? That's what you spend a lot of time doing in college is reading journal articles. You might read some literature as well, but you certainly got to read journal articles. And guess what? Our high schools haven't been doing a very good job preparing students for that. And the Common Core also say, hey, this is not just the job of the English teacher. The English teacher can keep teaching mostly literature, as well she should. But it's also the job of the social studies teacher, and it's the job of the science teacher. Well, okay? Now, I also want to make a, crit a critical point about elementary school. The reason that Edie Hirsch Jr., the founder of the Core Knowledge Program, right? The program that so many of the homeschoolers who have been packing the hearings and testimonies that I've been at around the country, uh, that, that Emmett's group has been getting to show up to these hearings, they love Edie Hirsch and they love his Core Knowledge Program. And is what do your, you know, should your second graders know? And what I, I wish they would hear if, if we could get the message out is, hey, Edie Hirsch supports the Common Core. And the reason is the Common Core says that to implement these standards well, uh, states or districts need to adopt a rigorous curriculum that has solid content attached to it. What it means is we want kids reading literature. We want kids learning about history, learning about science, art and music, all the kinds of things that have been pushed out of the classroom. That's what the Common Core is calling for. In other words, we agree on this stuff um, if we could get past the politics. So um, not to over... Uh, but I, Checker, you can give us a, a brief description because I want to move past the reading and into the, the social science and um, what was the other one that you had? The, science. The science. Yeah. Um, because as a, someone who's a, a staunch advocate of the Common Core, I want to know why you think that those standards suck. Oh, you mean the other ones that are not the Common Core standards? Because the yeah. Common Core... Well, yeah, short so that we can The get Common Core English standards, as Mike said, include um, essentially requests that English and social studies and science teachers do this deep reading. Um, so, so let's get that on the table as a common core thing. Separate and apart from that, uh, there is something called the Next Generation Science Standards creeping across the land, developed by Achieve um, with a bunch of states, a bunch of private funding. And our, our experts gave it a C because it, it leaves out crucial science content. Uh, and it uh, uh, goes way too deeply into activities rather than knowledge and other things like that. The social studies framework is beyond is beyond describing. Uh, you will never find in it Abraham Lincoln. I'm not sure I need to say anything more than that. There's just no content at all. Uh, just forget about it. Okay. I think that's feeding me nicely into the next. Yeah. Well, I'm going to be kind of brief because I, I don't I don't pretend to be a content expert. 
Uh, what I do know is I've read all the standards. I know that, of course, implementation is a problem. The tests are where you're really going to see what content matters. But I think there's something interesting because you mentioned E.D. Hirsch. Uh, and I read, I read what he had on your blog, and I think it was originally on Huffington Post. And I'm going to just totally take a quote you gave out of context. So don't think I'm really using this in whatever context you gave it. But I think it was Checker said, there's nothing in there. And there's nothing in there to a large extent actually describes the Common Core ELA standards. Because it doesn't actually require almost anything be read. It doesn't, it says you need these breakdowns of informational text, non-informational text. There are problems that people don't know what, what constitutes each kind of those things. But ultimately, it prescribes almost no reading. There's just a tiny amount that it says you have to read. Basically, a Shakespeare play, American play, one or two other things. And so, it leaves all the actual content alone. And so we hear that, well, this is going to make kids really grapple with good content and things like that. No, it's not. It doesn't say anything about the content. And I think that that's something important to understand. And E.D. Hirsch said that he, su he supports Common Core because it has this one paragraph in it that says you should, essentially, that you should be connecting what you learn in social studies and science and then your English language arts and things like that. But it doesn't do any of that. And he, he even says, look, the problem here is going to be implementation. And that's exactly the case. And the implementation is almost certainly going to have to come from the federal government, as we've talked about, because the only ones who can make states do things states don't want to do. And that means that the people you want to hold accountable are ultimately going to be holding a lot more of the strings than the, other, than the people you want to, to help. And then the last thing I'd, I'd want to point out um, it's true that the Common Core says, look, this isn't supposed to take literature out of your reading classes, your literature classes. But the question is, as is so often the case with the Common Core, what's the practical outcome going to be? Not what does it say, what's the practical outcome? And who do we think is going to be held responsible when your school's reading scores go down? No one's going to say to the physics teacher, why aren't you teaching reading better? They're going to say, hey, reading teacher, you need to focus more on the sorts of things that are tested in the English Language Arts Common Core Standards. My distinguished colleagues on the other side of the table should be applauding the fact that the Common Core leaves the choice of content to states and districts and schools and teachers and does not prescribe which books to read. Incidentally, neither did Sandy Stotsky. The famous Massachusetts reading list is a long list of recommended readings. Nothing on it is required of anybody in Massachusetts. In recommended authors, I believe. Authors, not even titles. Well, and, and, my, and it's my a fine only, list, by My the only way. point is that you can't t look at Common Core and say this is higher, this is more rigorous, this is going to get people to learn about history and science because it's not in there. And I think we all need to be honest about what's in Common Core. I do recommend people read it if you can get through it because better you hear it you read it for yourself than hear it from any of us. So, Neil, are, are you willing... Rigorous, and there's no actual content in there. Are you, so you're willing to admit that the Common Core does not make schools teach, for example, Toni Morrison's Bluest Eyes? No. Oh, you know what? I absolutely agree with you. And this is the next part about implementation, though. Where we will see what is actually dictated is when the tests come. The tests that were federally funded, the consortia that made the tests were federally selected, um, and when we see these is when we'll know what the, that's when we fill in the actual content. But the federal government said to states, you will adopt Common Core if you want to get rates of the top money. And you really need to use these tests if you want to get waivers from No Child Left Behind. 
Um, and so that's where we're going to start to see this filled in, but it's too late at that point well, for people to get uh, out. Let's talk about testing because I, I think um, this, I mean, this, this definitely feeds into a concern that Cato has about, about privacy um, for sure. But I, I want to, before we even talk about that, talk about how do you assess, how do you assess these, uh, these standards, which I think, you know, the goal has always been to make it not be that you you can you can explain the conflict that's going on in Macbeth. The goal is is a little more nebulous, or not nebulous, but it doesn't define anything particularly. It just says you need to be able to analyze a text. So I'm, I'm going to start over here because you guys should be able to tell us how, how you can. And this, by the way, is also a problem with No Child Left Behind. So it's not this is not a new issue. But how do you how do you test for this? How do you how do you Evaluate the standards. Is that what you're asking? How do you make sure that kids how do you assess the are, kids? Yeah. Are do you know are able to you know whatever the okay. quote is be able to analyze do these and things okay. interact with the text? I mean, I I have a son who, who we discuss you know which Hogwarts house each one would be in. <laughs> I, to, to me, that's interacting with the test, but I'm not or with the text, but I'm not entirely sure that. You can test for that. And you can do a very sophisticated yeah. assessment over the dinner table with a kid that's read a book uh, by asking uh, sort of probing questions about, uh, uh, you know, what's the evidence that uh, Harry Potter did this because of that? Uh, and that's 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 perfectly fine. Well, I mean, testing it, we could spend three days on, on the arcana of testing. Uh, let's be clear that states that use the Common Core don't have to use the federal tests, and several states just in the last few weeks, have said they'd rather use their own tests. New York's already got its own test. Alabama, I think, has said they want to use the ACT test. Um, and they're sticking with the Common Core, but they're not using the federally funded consortium tests. And that's okay. They will lose some comparability uh, with their results with other states. But it's perfectly okay to use a different test. Uh, I mean, tests range from simple multiple-choice stuff to um, sophisticated essay writing in, for example, advanced placement and international baccalaureate um, um, exams. Uh, the simple multiple choice format can be easy or hard. If there are four options, A, B, C, or D, three of them can be absurd, which means that getting the answer right on that item is pretty simple because you just have to rule out the absurd ones, or they can be very complex and require you to go through many, many reasoning steps. Uh, or calculation steps to get to the right one. Uh, you can also, um, having got a test that is aligned with the standards, uh, even if it's got good questions on it, you then have this issue over what's the passing score, what's the cut score. Uh, you might have a terrific 100-question test with 100 terrific questions, but what if passing it means getting 20 of them right, uh, as opposed to getting 80 of them right? Uh, so there are a whole lot of issues that go with testing, and these are largely unresolved yet. Can, I was going to say, can they be answered and resolved to the satisfaction? Not today. Not today, because okay. well, we haven't laid eyes on the tests. Nobody has. But states have been coerced, at the very least, to sign on to Common Core and Common Core tests. And if uh, you, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but race to the top, if you got that, you have to use one of the consortium tests. For waivers, you don't have to use them, but the Secretary of Education does get to approve or disapprove your waiver application. And he just approved Texas's waiver without the Common Core. Right, right before the government shut down, I noticed. Yes. Yeah, but that's right what shut that. down the government. <laughs> so you can clearly, you can clearly see, with one or two exceptions, strong government coercion or federal coercion. And I don't think we can debate that anymore because it's quite clear. Yeah, I think it's it's worth noting that I mean the the states signed up for these tests and they signed up for 
essentially the, the Common Core, they committed themselves to adopting the Common Core before the assessments were developed and before the Common Core was written. Can I address that? Because that again is is a clear misunderstanding of the history. And well, I understand the, the, that the tests still haven't been issue. developed, so that certainly can't be. Emmett, when when the it, it is true that the race to the top applications were going through at the same time that the standards are being finalized, right? And and I think the race to the top applications were due January uh, June one, and the uh, standards came out June second, yes. right? Yeah. But those standards were under development for over a year. Many drafts had come out, and the final drafts had been seen by the states. Right, they were not released to the public yet. Okay. I'm a little too close to the mic. Okay. Sorry about that. Yes. No, we don't. Okay. Neil, clean out your mouth. We're very pure. Exactly. So the 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 point here is that uh, the states had seen the final drafts of these standards before they made these race to the top decisions. Okay. Now look. We can talk about the federal role. It's very clear that many states signed on to the Common Core because of this incentive to get the money. There's no doubt. It's also clear that this effort started well before Barack Obama was president. We know because we were there. We were one of the key groups arguing for the states, shaming the states into doing this because they continued to set low standards in their content standards and on their tests. So, yes, the, the Obama administration came in and in many ways politicized the standards. And I understand that conservatives are angry about that. They should be angry about that. But the reaction is not to then punish our children by saying, as your group does, Emmett, go around the country and tell states, you know what you should do is go back to your old lower standards and dumb down tests and lower expectations for Mike, kids. That's just simply not true. We, we tell states they should implement uh, the best standards in the world for their states. And what's, we don't what is tell your them plan? to go how back it, to Are to they going to adopt Massachusetts standards? Is, do you have a plan for how you're going to get from here to there? Singapore? Yeah. The United Nations? Look, it, it's, it's quite simple. This, this is uh, about competition. This is about benchmarking. You learn from what's proven, and you adopt the best standards possible. And, and it, if state after state after state do that, you have an improvement of standards. And we've seen that. Massachusetts adopted uh, clearly the best standards in, in the country. And then you see Texas going and improving their standards to make them perhaps better than Massachusetts. But there's 45 and other it, states. Look, we, we, we tried that. That was our strategy oh, we for tried most of the that, 90s. We tried and that it, with the federal government breathing down the backs of the states. But what's your plan B, Emmett? I mean, how are we going to get to higher standards in these states where you're pushing Republicans to give up on a 20-year history of accountability and standards. We're not going to go to Cato land where there's no testing. So if, then we're going to go land. back to... And you're failing the test. So we're going to go back to the situation where we've got dumbed-down standards and dumbed-down tests. I don't understand how that's good for kids. Okay, that well, strikes me as all about politics. I just want to say two, two things, and then I, I know we've got to go move ahead. But one, we cannot blame the Obama administration for federal intervention because benchmarking for success was a 2008 report. It came out before there was an Obama administration, and it called explicitly for federal incentives to move states along to common internationally benchmarked standards. And we know all know how influential think tank reports are. Well, the point is that Common Core supporters were calling for federal involvement before the Obama administration. It wasn't that the Obama administration suddenly like, these guys don't want federal involvement. Why don't I just sort of take over? Um, well, and, I, and I'll just let Well, I, I mean, my, my only point just at for anybody here who is not familiar, and I'm sure you all are, that, 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 the, um, that President Bush was very much a fan of accountability along the lines of, of what 
Fordham is talking about, uh, just as is President Obama. Um, in fact, I would argue that the the, the two administrations are in, in almost, this is one of the issues where they're the most alike, um, which has been very interesting to watch from a political standpoint. But if we're just talking about actual education, I, you, know, you guys have been on the outside for a long time. You're, you've been in the desert, as, as it were. Um, for a long time. But the thing, let's talk about cost, uh, because one of the main issues that are the reasons that states, that some of the states have decided that they're going to use their own assessments and not the assessments from the consortium is that they, they say it's simply too expensive. Uh, there's a lot of estimates out there. I think that, you know, the high end is 50, it costs states $15 billion to implement these consortium tests. Um, Others are saying, you know, it's more like maybe a billion. That's still a lot of money. But I want to know how much does it cost to actually, not consortium test aside, how much does it cost to, to really assess how the kids are doing? I mean, is it, is, is it an expensive I hate to give you an all-depends answer, but it depends on what kind of test you're using. If it's got to be graded by human beings, it is more expensive than if it's graded by machines. The, and can uh, you have a test that's graded by machines that would actually assess the things that they're working on it. I mean, the, the, the fancy computer programs that have claimed to be able to read essays and evaluate sentence structure and complexity and things like that are coming along. That's terrible. Uh, today, mostly <laughs> today, mostly essay type responses, open responses, as they're usually called in testing are evaluated by human beings who get paid for their time. Uh, that's a lot different than putting a bunch of Scantron sheets through a machine uh, that, um, that, that comes out with a uh, percentage correct. Um, keep in mind that we're spending roughly $10,000 per kid in public education across the United States. And uh, former commissioner of education in New York State, which is way above 10000 by the way, told me that the New York State testing budget is $8 per kid. This is sort of ridiculous, actually that you would spend $10,000 or in the case of New York state, more like $15,000 to educate a kid and then spend $8 to determine whether he's learned anything. Well, so this is perhaps before we get on to how much it should cost, should we be testing our kids at all? Um, <laughs> Where's the accountability if, if, if well, any, yeah, I mean, there, there are two ways to look at this. If I'm choosing a school, yeah, I want my child tested, but I want to be able to choose a school based on what tests they use, what the, uh, what the focus of the school is, what I think uh, my child's abilities are, strengths, what they might want to do. What I don't want is for somebody who has no connection to me, no understanding of my child, to say everyone will use the same test. And it's not just, it's not just for personal reasons. Um, a part of it is because nobody is omniscient. Even if there's a test that's better than all the other ones out there, we don't know what the one best test is, even if you could have one, knowing that all kids are different. So you really couldn't. You have got to allow other sorts of tests, other sorts of standards to be implemented and used so we can learn what works, what doesn't work, because none of us can, can are omniscient. We don't know everything but that's right. But what about comparability? How, if I'm a parent trying to pick which school that I want to send my kid to and I can't tell the difference between the testing that they're using. How am I going to be able to understand how that works? Well, so we've had national tests for a very long time. Iowa tests, Stanford tests, AP tests, uh, IB tests. There are lots of ways you can have national tests, because we already have them, that don't have to be connected to the federal government. Common Core wouldn't be nearly as concerning, at least to me, if it weren't so very clearly connected 
to the federal government. I would also just say that, you know, this is why school choice is so important. I don't know why Nirav said it was nutso to think you can't have school choice. Nutso was my word. But he said you needed standards and accountability in order to have choice. Well, I am sorry. I just had someone send Nirav a tweet saying he called us nutso. Um, (laughs) But in any event, you know, we can look at free markets all over the place and see they work. And we don't need the government to say, here, you're allowed to have this this market. But the really important thing about what Mike said about, well, what is your alternative? Is your alternative is to say, look, we've seen essentially all 50 states, with the possible exception of Massachusetts, fail. These 50 centralized monopolies have failed. Why don't we go to one centralized monopoly? That is not changing things. That's making the bad thing worse. And that's why it is a solution to say you've got to move to school choice. You've got to make an education system where you can tailor education to the specific needs of the students. And that means you've got to have multiple types of tests, multiple types of standards, because you have multiple kinds of kids and all sorts of people with all sorts of different goals and abilities. And how are we supposed to parse that? Well, I mean, look, if I buy a car... I can go to Road and Track, and they'll say, hey, look, here, we're going to compare all these cars, and we're going to tell you all these different facets you might think are interesting. We'll even rank them. In education, I can go to U.S. News. Now, I know the U.S. News report, they're not the best. But here's the thing. I can use U.S. News, but I can also go to Princeton Review. I could go to uh, the Intercollegiate Studies Institute. I can go to Business Week. There are lots of people who are experts who are vetting things for me, and I can choose them. But I also have the freedom, and society has the freedom to choose different things. If you would like to adopt 55 million children, I think I might be on your side of the table. Um, But uh, you're describing the assiduous work of a discerning and attentive parent to uh, gather information from many, many sources and make informed judgments. Is that a way to run a society? I think you've heard my answer on this one before, which is I am not a car expert by any stretch of the imagination, but I know in a market and it exists there are experts who i can pay not a whole lot to get their expertise to assess things for me i don't have to have spent four years studying auto mechanics to get a good car we're going to go to q a relatively (laughs) soon but i am exercising my authority as moderator to bring up one more topic um and not, not to think that I'm favoring one side or the other, but I'm starting over here because you guys raised the argument, uh, Neil in particular, um, about privacy. Uh, what is, are there dangers about kids' privacy or family privacy or something when it comes to testing? Or Emmett, it's yours, you know. And, and um, what should we be thinking about? Yeah, the, the um, administration is... is part of race to the top, specifically with, with the testing um, and the race to the top applications. The, the, um, so the, the states had to include in the race to the top applications their agreement to be part of a testing consortium. And in that agreement, they, they committed to the standards um, and they, agree, they committed to the, the policies of the testing consortia and the testing consortia's agreement with the federal government. The testing consortia agreed with the federal government that they would work to, uh, to turn over student-level data. And, and then in the race to the top applications, the, the states agreed to, um, uh, not agree, they, they promised that they would build up these data systems with stimulus money, collecting, co- collecting uh, student and family information, 
and that they would um, make this data available to researchers uh, for the evaluation of, of uh, academic programs. Um, so that's all very problematic. There, there's these databases that are being, that, that are being constructed, uh, again, with the, the incentivization of the, or at the incentivization of the federal government. Well, then in, in 2011, the federal government changed the, the rules. Uh, specifically, there, there's a Federal Educational Rights and Privacy Act that's been around since uh, the, the early 1970s. Um, and the administration changed the regula regula regulations uh, in a way that I would say is unfaithful to the underlying statute, essentially making it very easy to share data. The data now can be shared uh, among states, it can be shared among departments, it can even be shared with, with private entities. And this is student level data. Um, and, and it's important to note now, is the, they're not talking about turning over data with, with uh, student names on it, but it does have to have a student identifier. It has to have some way of of tracking the data so that studies can be done. So you can assess how children are doing now, how they're doing in the future, how they're doing um, when they get out of school and are employed. Um, and and uh, so it, it's very disconcerting. Um, and even, even if, that, if the names are stripped from the data uh, through, the, through the miracles of, of uh, modern computer technology, identity can be reattached to, to um, the data. So this is a new era we're, we're entering. Uh, I think it's, it's very problematic. Uh, all right, Mike, is that a red herring? Uh, I, I didn't hear Emmett say almost anything about the Common Core in that long description. So let me, let me ask Emmett, if a state like Tennessee pulled out of the Common Core tomorrow, and I say Tennessee because we were just testifying there last a couple weeks ago, would anything change in data privacy for Tennessee? I mean, they would still have a statewide longitudinal data system. Uh, they would still have the same rules under the federal That's government. That's about the, what, the what common core. So in, in the stimulus bill, the state's committed to building out these massive databases. All right. And then in the race to the top applications, they had to uh, promise to the federal government or explain to the federal government uh, their, their progress in building out these databases and, and essentially put forth a plan in which they, would, they demonstrated how they would use this data. Um, so that's the connection with the Common Core. What, um, I didn't hear it. What, what was that connection? The, the, I heard a connection with Race to the Top. Well, the, the, right, the Race to the Top, but then in the, common, in the Race to the Top applications, the, the states had to include their uh, agreements to be part of the testing consortia. And the testing consortia have entered into these uh, promises with the federal government to turn over student-level data. Look, I, look I, I understand the data privacy concerns. I mean, I have two small kids. I don't want their data going anywhere to the federal government, to private companies, anywhere else. Good, All right? good. But if, if the state of Maryland, where I live, pull out of the Common Core, it would have no material, make no material difference in the data privacy thing. Oh, no. Okay, the, and by the way, the data I'm thing... I'm sorry, Michael, that, that wasn't the question. Yes, I, I would urge every state, I think we must be in agreement with this, I would urge every state to review its privacy laws and to pass new, robust 
updated privacy laws much as as the federal government should do okay. I, I guess we're in, we're in agreement with that we, uh, there, this, there, this was a hook to the race of the i was merely answering the question yes all right so you would say that there is no direct link between the data privacy issue and the common core well the common core is a set of academic content standards so it, Period. yeah this this they're they're connected through race to the top, but yeah. All right, but race to the top also said states should support charter schools. Let so me, therefore, you, you know. Just on the data thing, um, because I I have people who are not here in this in, on this panel that I that I talk to a lot about that that. Get a life on too many panels. They're actually, <laughs> in, 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 what they want is they want more ability for for I mean it's again it's a competition thing they want more ability for for private researchers to go into the data and actually dig through and try and figure out how to teach kids um, right. and you know I, one of one of my friends talks about these data mausoleums that we you know even if the data isn't very good it's not nobody's doing anything with it right and so I mean. I don't know if you guys agree with that, but that is an argument yeah, that I no, hear a lot. Look, so, and, and, and I think, look, we th there are these two good values. One is we want to keep our data safe, and we're all rightfully freaked out by the whole NSA stuff, right? I mean, there were rules, and it looks like rules were violated. So I understand conservatives saying, hey, I don't care if there's a law saying that the feds can't have this. It's clearly they've shown that they will break the law, right? So I understand that. It's also true that these data can be very powerful to learn something about what's working. So we need to find a way to balance it. Well, Alec has a great model law out uh, that that states can pass. Oklahoma's already passed it. Note that to strengthen. Mike is, is 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 touting Alec. Yes, which is also I am. Thank against you. the Common Core. And, and they, you know, but but Fawn, this is why this is so important. Is this this issue? You know, this morning I did a radio interview in Columbia, Missouri, and the first question was from a very nice woman who said, you know, I've heard that the Common Core is requiring us to collect all this data, and they want to collect data on our kids and through the kids, their families. And the data will go to the federal government, uh, and it's going to be shared all across the states. And the only other country that does something like this is China. Right? And, and so what's happening here is that Emmett's group and other groups are using this fear about data privacy to drive opposition to the Common Core. So what's going to happen? Again, their strategy, their political strategy is to use this to get states, mostly in the South, it looks like, to pull out of the Common Core. And then what? Go back to lower standards, go back to dumber tests, go no, back to lower to, expectations to for go kids. back to the Constitution, to go back to government by the people. And this is these are issues that are fundamentally uh, not the responsibility of the federal government. The I federal agree. government doesn't have a business in them. I agree. So this this is to go back to to citizen directed government. I agree. So leave and, it up to these and states. The the idea would be to go to higher standards. And, and just let me put this in a little bit of context real fast, because Common Core isn't something in isolation. It's part of Race to the Top. And it's very clear that you see these connections to the testing, which you guys agree you need, right, for your tripod. You've got to have common testing. And I think Fawn was right in saying this is about trying to get data how you teach kids. I, I mean, I don't think this is poorly intended, but you can see very clearly why Common Core is part of overall Race to the Top, as well as the assessments, as well as the data collection. And it's because there are well-intended people, researchers, who say, look, if we want to find out how to best teach kids, how to get the education outcomes we want, how to assess the quality of schools, we need to control a whole lot of variables. And Common Core is how you control the test variable. You say, now everybody's on the same test. And then we can start to say, so now we can compare everybody across the country. But this is, these are intimately connected. And it's not necessarily the case that a state 
in the future would be able to drop out of the data collection. Politics is, is iterative. So we've gone from No Child Left Behind, where the federal government says you have to have standards and tests, but we won't tell you what they are. Now we're saying you have to have standards and tests, and we're going to tell you what those standards are. And then the next thing you can see in that progression would be now we're going to collect the data, and we're going to use that to assess the quality of schools, which is what No Child Left Behind is trying to do. So I don't think we can say that these are not connected. Much in this conversation is emphasized race to the top. Let's just get on the table the fact that race to the top is finished. A minority of states got those grants and they pretty much all spent them down now and there isn't a new race to the top. Uh, it's gone away. It's finished. It's over. The things that they said they would do, they've either done or not done. And um, some of them haven't done what they said they were going to do. Um, Arnie Duncan's crossed with them for this, but it's finished. It's over. Not waivers. Okay. Um, time for some questions. Uh, so, oh, good. Look at this. All right. Um, I'm going to do the best I, I'm gonna do the best I can to get to get to all of you. Um, so, but we've got two guys in the back with um, a lady with microphones. So please identify yourself and and I just ask that if you're going to make a statement, make it one sentence and then ask your question. So why don't we start right up here with because you've had your hand up the longest. So. <laughs> Hi, my name is Chris Allman, and I am a, a hopefully a discerning and informed parent. But I have some a question for the. Um, Proponents of Common Core, um, you said several times that what we need is a rigor rigorous curriculum, solid standards, um, that low content standards motivated Common Core long before Obama was elected. Um, but then when Mr. McCluskey said the English language um, standards, there was no content in them, you jumped on it and said, yes, teachers get to decide what they're going to teach. Well, what are content standards rigorous assessment, able to assess standards, if in fact Common Core has no content standards by your own admission? The quote I read at the beginning from the standards described what kids should be able to do with a text. It did not tell them which text to do it with. That is the teacher's decision. Do you want Hamlet or Macbeth or the bluest eye? That would be the teachers or the schools or the school districts. Uh, what the Common Core Standards are seeking to do while leaving the choice of content to the states and the districts, which I think is an important thing to do, or to the core knowledge curriculum, if, if, if a district wants to pick a good one. Um, this says what kids should be able to do with the text that they're reading. It doesn't tell them which text to read. Neither did Massachusetts. But isn't the our kids can do that with red fish, blue fish, uh, one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish by Dr. Seuss. And another high school can do it with Shakespeare. I mean, the problem is what we see in the states today is that some states are testing that skill. But the reading level at which they're testing it are vastly different from a Dr. Seuss book to a Shakespeare. If the teacher is picking the content, I think it makes a big difference what that what that content is and eventually aren't you going to have to mandate that there's a certain at least baseline text that the teachers are selecting from it makes an enormous difference what text they're reading but i don't think that that uh should be centrally determined i think that that is indeed what we have districts and states and teachers and charter schools and teachers and schools to do now i, I would say you know the the common core tried to get at this question by talking about the text complexity that's expected 
uh, and pushing schools to look at various measures of text complexity so that you couldn't be teaching Dr. Seuss in high school level. That would not meet the standard. Okay, um, I've got a couple of questions. We've got one woman here and then this gentleman here next. And then we'll Elizabeth Graham, this question is for Mr. McCluskey. But before I ask the question, <coughs> let me make the statement. I, as I understand it from what I've heard, the Common Core is primarily about skills development, which is what people are able to do. They can count, they can cipher, they can read and, and understand. It's not about education, which is about what they think, the opinions they hold. Have I understood that correctly, first of all? And what, I, I guess what, that question is for Mr. Finn and Mr. Petrelli. I'm barely hearing you. I yeah. really I'm sorry. sorry. The, the, my, my, my understanding from what I've heard from you is that the Common Core is about building skills as opposed to education. And I differentiate skill from education. Skill is what you can do, like ride a bicycle. Education is what you think and the conclusions that you reach. So it's your opinions that have been formed. And the question is for Mr. McCluskey. Um, you had said that every child is different, and I agree with you. But I would, I would ask you um, if you had a child or a group of children, and they all needed to develop a particular skill, like riding a bicycle, would you not want them to use, know about, and be taught in the way that is most effective and most quickly allows them to acquire that skill? I don't understand why you would argue that every child is different and use that as an argument against the common core skill development. Could you address that? Right, because first I think different kids would learn different skills in different ways and at different rates. So I know a lot of people learn to ride a bicycle way faster than I did. Maybe it's because I'm terribly coordinated. I don't know. Uh, I probably am. But the point is, Common Core is essentially has to work on the notion that everybody's going to do everything at about the same rate at the same time. And we know that's just not the case. The more, potentially more important part is, well, so now we think that, I don't know any bike riding methods, but say the hop on your bike method, we think this is the best for most kids. But then what if we find out, oh, well, you know, we really should have allowed people to use the training wheels method because that actually works better. If you go to one national standard and, and we say, look, people agree now that the hop on your bike standard's best, then we don't find out that it's really better for most kids to use the training wheel standard. But let, let me make clear that these standards are about the end result. They're not about how you learn them, okay? And this is, think of it like a growth chart, right? We, Neil and I both have kids about the same age. We go to the pediatrician once a year. There's a growth chart. We're told, you know, my son's at the 75th percentile for height. I'm amazed, but I'm happy, right? But, uh, but that, you know, I don't expect every year to be told that he's at the 50th percentile for weight and height. You know, now if he was way low or way high on something, I might say, well, that's cause for concern, right? Same thing with standards. Common Core says by the end of kindergarten where my son is in, he should be able to count to 20. We got that one nailed already, okay? Uh, now, it doesn't mean that everybody's got to be in lockstep, and it doesn't say that, you know, here's one way that you must teach your child how to count to 20, all right? But it gives parents a chance to say, are our kids more or less on track? And of course, they're going to fall behind on some things, go ahead on some things, we just get a sense, are we on the right trajectory? The problem is, we've been promising that to parents for 20 years with standardized testing. But because we set the test at such a low level, we were sending these false signals. We were telling parents that their kids were doing fine. And then their kids were getting to college and ending up in remedial education. So we're going to have these tests. We're going to have these growth charts. We want them to be actually pegged to the real world and be able to give signals that are accurate. Over here. Thank you. 
Hi, my name is Dave Price, and I've spent four decades teaching, writing about, and consulting uh, in education, basically in poor districts. So I want to make an observation and two quick questions. First of all, I'm going to use my teacher hat. I'm going to grade this. I think it was an A minus. It was an excellent job that you did, first of all, in, in an, an issue that everyone, it does affect everyone, whether you believe it does or not. Um, the question that I have, or the, well, the, the, the main question that I have is this. You obviously have studied education. Nobody seems to have the answer, okay? Everyone seems to agree. I think most people, no matter where you fall on the political spectrum, whether you're in the classroom like I was for more than 30 years, or outside it as a parent, as someone spoke, we know we have problems. I want you to do something hypothetical just for a moment. Tomorrow you become education czar, all four of you. And we all know that a plan has to start somewhere. So on your first day, your powers are pretty much unlimited. Okay, so, you know. Congress is back in session, so we can do some things. And what happens is, what is the very first thing you would do to improve education? And it can come from the core content standards, or it may come from anything else. But on day one, the first thing you're going to do, education czar, is blank. Uh, bring content back to the elementary school curriculum. Assert that everybody gets a choice among good schools. So I'm close to checker. I'd say attach money to kids. I'd do two things, though. Also give educators freedom to try different things. Libertarians aren't allowed to be czars, are they? Ooh. Well, I mean, there's a whole philosophical issue. <laughs> I think that one has Look, to happen over the I think one of the, one of the great things that's, that's happened because of this uh, race to the top, perhaps the only great thing, um, common core effort is that now, once again, the people are engaged. They're re-engaged uh, in, in state after state, town after town, school after school. Parents are finding out about what it is their children are learning. They're finding about, out about the standards, and, and they're doing something about it. So I think what I would do would be uh, further that trend by by getting the federal government out of dictating education policy. Uh, I just want to, I'm a parent, and I want to start by saying I'm a little bit ambivalent. I don't really have uh, decided on this issue. And so I see the need for competitiveness um, and raising this lower standards in American education. But I also think that it's much more than politics as usual that is opposing this. And I wanted to ask, um, given that in my generation, we saw a whole generation change their social attitudes and weaken the competitiveness of American education uh, through uh, government mandates of, to education, what, how do you um, answer the danger of national power over education and curriculum? Um, how would you say that? And the, just a second, very quick thing. Um, how do you comment on the lack of education and respect for trades in American education? Trades. Uh, first of all, to be clear, I think Checker and I would both say that we don't want the federal government uh, to be setting curriculum or to be setting standards, right? And we've had some of this debate on how much was the federal government involved or not involved and, and how much is that an issue? Um, so, you know, I think... We also support school choice, including charter schools. And one of the reasons is because we really believe in this model where 
local educators, and we mean local in the school, have more autonomy uh, to do what they see fit and to try creative methods and to get to the standards the best way they know how uh, and to allow schools to be different from one another. So I think, you know, we, we've for a long time talked about tight loose before Barney Duncan started talking about it and now it's just ruined. No, just kidding. Um, but, uh, but this idea that we have, we're tight on the results that we expect, but loose on how to get there. And that that's an appropriate way to think about the federal state role, but it's also the way to think about sort of central uh, authority versus local schools. As long as taxpayers are paying the bill for schools, I believe they have a right to say, here's what we want to get for that tax dollar. We want an educated citizenry. Okay, that, we all pay for everybody else's kids to go to school because we understand as a country we're better off if people we've never met, if their kids do well in school, not just our kids. So as long as that's the case, if the taxpayers are going to express quality in some way, uh, we, they should do it through standards. That's better than dictating class size or teacher qualifications or all those other inputs. Um, but then we've got to find a way to let educators educate and have that flexibility. Somebody else want to take the issue about trades? and? Uh, I just want, well, no, I think actually the trades part is a good, uh, <coughs> I promise I'd be short. I'll no, be a little sorry. longer because I forgot the trades part. I did want to say, though, that you talk about taxpayers should want an educated citizenry. And I, and I agree. I mean, if you're paying tax, you should want that. The problem is taxpayers aren't a monolithic group. Nobody seems to agree on re really constitutes an educated citizenry. That's why so often efforts to have national standards fall apart. And, of course, that happened uh, completely in the 90s when there was a very overt federal effort to set national standards with actual content and everybody found something they didn't like and it all imploded. I think the part about trades is, is very important. It goes to why you want school choice that isn't all aimed at one standard where somebody said this is where everybody should go. There are some kids, you know, in fact, we're, we're talking about this is college and career ready. Mainly the focus is college. I mean, if you read most of what the commentary is on it, but we need a system where there are kids who don't want to go to college, who don't need a four-year college with a liberal arts core, who should have vocational options. And that's why you need school choice, so people can easily have all sorts of educational options that fit them, not some sort of effort to have a one-size-fits-all model. Here in the front. We got a, yeah, a few more questions. So um, I think we have time for a few, few more. Yeah, we got seven. We have it. <laughs> no, I just... I, I did want to comment. On that. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Well, You're next. I, Just 30 seconds. <laughs> okay, well, you, you raised the, the issue of monopoly and, and, and the dangers of that. And I think if you, you look at the race to the top common core process, and I include that as, as one process because the common core was not written until the race to the top process was kicked off, that, that process that was basically asked for in benchmarking for success. But it, it was a private process. It wasn't a public process. That was a private process that was, that was uh, headed by two associations that were drafting the standards. And the idea was that there would be a monopoly. Uh, therefore, really uh, calling into question what, what are going to be the quality controls on, on this. Um, and I, I think the, the results are very interesting in, in a number of respects. So this benchmarking for success report, which kind of called for the Common Core and called for the federal government to incentivize um, uh, the effort, that, that report says, well, uh, one of the things that's lacking in America is there's, there's many states that don't have Algebra 1 in eighth grade. And um, 
And, and, and indeed, that's, uh, you know, Singapore and South Carolina have, I mean, in South Korea, have Algebra 1 in eighth grade. Um, and the final product of Common Core has Algebra 1 in ninth grade. So it, it failed to, to um, it's failed its promise in that respect. Now, Common Core has a, a compacted plan whereby three years can be studied within a two-year period so that, so that uh, children can finish Algebra 1 by eighth grade. So that sounds okay, um, except you, you look at the data, like the data coming out of California, for instance, and I think it becomes quite clear that there's, there's a problem when you compact down the courses three years into two years, and that's that it, it widens the achievement gap. Why does it widen the achievement gap? And well, it, it's uh, simple. Families that are well-to-do that have the resources can help their children through that process more easily than families who don't have money. They can do that by purchasing things like summer school courses, after-school courses, private tutoring. So that's one thing. Uh, Common Core failed to meet its promise in that respect. Um, then there, there was a... Had other okay. Questions. <laughs> Just real quickly, there, there was a report in 2010 by 500 early childhood professionals who said that the Common Core is problematic because it is that some of the standards are not age appropriate because they're they're pushing abstract tasks um, down upon children whose brains are not appropriately developed to handle that. You mean uh, they're too hard? No, no, they're they're abstract. So. So, for instance, the mathematical practices. Okay, <laughs> sorry. I'm, I'm just th that that report, 500 early childhood professionals, was completely ignored by the process, and so that gets to your question of of what are the problems of having a a monopoly? Those are just two Thank examples. Thank you for your patience, sir. Please. Um, my name is Tom Frank. Uh, I came here from Anne Arundel County, Maryland, which is not too far from here. Uh, I was going to go to the zoo, but I guess the zoo was closed, so I <laughs> came here instead. Uh, Found four uh, pandas. Yeah, the, the idea of common core sounds so nice. How could anybody object to things being common for everything? But I, I, I'd like you to consider three other analogies where things are not common, and they work really quite well. Uh, we have drug testing in this company. Every drug company gets to figure out what drug they want, Ultimately, yes, it's tested, or I should say it is confirmed by the federal government, but it's tested by the company. Uh, we have many great universities in this country. I don't think there's anything in common there. My son went to Indiana University, good basketball. My daughter decided she wanted to go to Michigan and go blue. They got a great football team. But really what I want to ask you about are, um, are hardware stores. We don't seem to have laws, federal laws, about hardware stores. But I drive out of Anne Arundel <laughs> County, I go to Prince George's County, and I have a choice of Lowe's Hardware Store, and there's another hardware store that they built right across the street, Home Depot. There's nothing in common about either one of those stores. They are, they are as Milton Friedman would say, I am free to choose. What's wrong with that analogy? Well, do you want the Phillips head screwdriver to have four prongs or seven? Uh, don't you think there's some commonality in what they sell in hardware stores? 
they they also have straight screwdrivers and I can buy either the straight one or the one that's got more prongs at either hardware store that I want to. It's not determined. There's only two kinds. But but it's not a government hardware store. Correct. Oh, here. Um, yes, a couple of you guys mentioned that, you know, education is not is different for everyone. But I think something similar is the amount of, like, patience and accountability parents put into the education of their children. You know, like, after school, like, people that seem to succeed in, like, the education, even elementary schools, their parents that, like, put in maybe 30 minutes before school, and now we're after school just, like, reading with them and talking about them. I just want to know, like, if you think, like, could Common Core succeed if kind of, like, the educational separation between parents and children kind of, like, went further than it is already now? Good question. We haven't talked about parent involvement. Um, who, who wants to? Well, nobody can replace good parents with any um, any government program or or policy. Uh, what we are beginning to see with some of the high touch charter schools, in particular, uh, uh, things like the KIPP program, are charter schools that do a pretty good job of compensating. Uh, by mostly having longer days and years and <laughs> teachers that really can, you can call up at 10 o'clock at night, um, either with your personal problem or your homework problem. Uh, they're beginning to act a little bit in loco parentis in that way. But I don't think that's really on point with the Common Core, which is really intended for the, the generality of 100,000 schools, as many of them want to end up using it. And the kids are going to still do better if their parents help them. All right, we have time for one more. So right here in the red, you win. Hi, my name is Lori Halverson, and I'm a parent who's been following Common Core since uh, Maryland applied for Race to the Top. Um, and Checker, I have a question for you. Um, you said that if we have a better idea that we could put it on the table. Please. My question is, as a parent, how, how do I do that? If I want to change a standard in the Common Core now, I mean, before Common Core, I could just go to my local PTA. They would help me, and we could go to the district, and a change could be made, and it, and it happens that way. But how can I make a change with the Common Core state standards? Well, actually, much the same way, because there remains enormous flexibility for your school and your district and the state of Maryland, uh, both to decide on specific content and to add to and, frankly, subtract from uh, the Common Core and to alter it in other ways. There are no Common Core cops. Um, nobody is policing how Maryland implements for faithfully, imaginatively, not at all, um, the Common Core standards. Um, if Maryland joins with other states in a common test, then the degree to which it deviates from what other states are doing will probably turn up in the test results on the common test. You can use other tests to supplement it. But honestly, uh, the Common Core is not uh, some police state effort to mandate what your kid's school is going to do at 10.15 in the morning. Uh, it describes where it would be nice to have your kid at the end of sixth grade in English and math. Period. Uh, and it leaves most of the rest to uh, decisions the same way the current system does. Yeah, if, if I can add something, and I, and I think this is an area where, where Emmett and I would, may agree and where we maybe can work together. It is great that we have parents so much um, more engaged now. And in many cases, what we have are school districts that are making bad decisions, curricular and others, and blaming it on the Common Core. Montgomery County, Maryland, there's a lot of push to 
do away with the math acceleration, for example, that's been very important to the gifted education community, which is crazy. And the district will say, well, it's because of the Common Core. Well, that's a bunch of baloney, I will say, to, to keep it uh, family friendly, right? Nothing in the Common Core that says you need to get rid of math acceleration. They're just using that as an excuse. So if we can take these parents and active parent groups that have gotten fired up over these issues and get them to pressure their local school boards and school officials uh, you know, and say to them, where in the Common Core does it say we're supposed to get rid of math acceleration or any of the other silliness that we see out there and push them to actually implement the Common Core with solid, traditional, rigorous kinds of curriculum that we would be happy to have for our children, then I think we can start turning this, this conversation in a very positive direction. Well, I, I, think, uh, I think that's a, a great question. And, and the answer to the specific question is there's no easy way for you to go and get that standard changed. And, and you have to get it changed for 45 states that are participating in it. And then, then that's going to involve the federal government, the testing consortia, uh, the associations that, that own the standards. They'll all be involved in that. Um, so it's very difficult, and, and there's a lot that you might want to change. You might want to, you might disagree with this shift in the ELA standards. You might want Algebra 1 to be in eighth grade, which is what was recommended by the National Math Advisory Panel. Um, you might disagree with these early learning standards um, and agree with the 500 psycho early learning psychologists and professionals who expressed grave concern about them. Um, so, and including Dr. Carla Horowitz of the Yale Child Study Center, who said the core standards will cause suffering, not learning for many, many young children, and she was ignored. So it is a very real question, and there's no answer for it. The only answer is that you are disempowered. I mean, she, she was ignored because she doesn't have science on her side. And I mean, even Sandy Stotsky would agree we need young children learning content, Edie Hirsch style content, and that's what a lot of these this early child educators no, don't no, want no. to see. She, are you, I mean, are you these, with these, 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 were, are these, the these were child these psychologists and psychiatrists who precisely raised the point because it was contrary to science. No. So you have for, it calls on children in, in, K, in uh, grades K to two to reason abstractly and quantitatively and to construct viable arguments and critique the reasoning of others. So what's going to happen to these children, according to the psychologist, is that they'll be, uh, they'll be, uh, many of them will be uh, labeled as learning delayed when they are not. Yeah, Students will be held back and tracked into remedial classes. The, the Teachers will be inaccurately for, labeled as ineffective. We're all, but I, I do want to say I, I particularly like the last question that we got because um, if nothing else, we can see that this is a question that engages a lot of people and and parents and teachers and all of these fine educators here. And so let's give them a hand for uh, giving us something lively to talk about. Please.